Hi, ADHDers, and welcome to the KDHD Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and you're probably here because you've heard, you don't have ADHD, I would have seen the signs. Well, I'm here to help you on this journey of understanding your ADHD and how it impacts your mental health, relationships, careers, and even your body. I've invited some wonderful ADHD professionals and experts to help us learn how to cope with our challenges, but also utilize our strengths. So here we go. Today's guest is Dr. Ashley Elliott, aka Dr. Vivid, clinical psychologist and mental health specialist, here to help us understand our diagnosis and how women in the medical field are changing the way we see ADHD. Take it away, Ashley. Hello, I am Dr. Vivid, but my mom named me Ashley Elliott. So I'm Dr. Ashley Elliott. Um, and I am a doctor of clinical psychology. I'm a mental health advocate, a motivational speaker, a mom of two kids who like going to Target and a very excited guest on this podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, I think with social media and everything, I've I've learned so much and I feel like I've learned more from therapists on TikTok and, and psychologists on TikTok more than I've gone to years and years of therapy. And so I really appreciate you being on here and being open to talk to me about ADHD because in the ADHD community, it's not taboo, but it, like, I forget that I'm like inside this like bubble of ADHD. You know, I get reminded by, by trolls at least <laughs> a few times a day, but it, but it is, um, it is kind of a taboo topic. So I definitely appreciate you being here and, and being willing to talk to me and, and share your knowledge and then also share your story on why, you know, you went into this line of work. Cause I think that's really important. And I think it can be really inspiring to a lot of people out there. Of course. So I am a native Washingtonian, grew up in Washington, D.C. all of my life. And um, I was born in 87, so I'm a 90s baby, technically, as far as growing up. And during that time, there was the crack epidemic. There was a lot going on in terms of HIV, AIDS, and gay rights. There was also a lot of racial tension. So I grew up seeing a lot of just aggression that at first I couldn't quite understand when I was younger. And a lot of members of my family had their own issues with substance abuse, um, some issues related to mental health. And I was just exposed to a lot. So I um, actually have an intense trauma history starting back to probably when I was about three or four years old. And my mother being a young mom, my mom had me about 18, 19 years old. Um, she had the wherewithal at four to put me in therapy because she's like, uh, no, she needs to talk to somebody about all of this that she's seeing. It's violence. It's her own struggle with her own mental health and her substance abuse issues. And she wanted to keep me safe. <laughs> the thing that actually got me to wanting to be a psychologist was the first psychologist I had were terrible um they were terrible like I first I they started me with play therapy and this older man just kept trying to coerce me into telling stories that were that fit his treatment model and I was lying and he was ignoring my feelings and that pissed me off at four and I told my mom and she was like okay great so then they put me with this older white woman who I swear to this day she did not like kids and I don't think she liked little black kids either and she just made me feel so small 
and she was very harsh and very mean and when you go through trauma you need someone to be softer with you and make you have a safe place and it just wasn't happening so I left there in tears and at four I had a conversation with my mom in the lobby she was like I said I'm not going back and she said why I said you know she hurt my feelings and she didn't listen and I feel like a liar and my mom and my we have this conversation because it's very vivid what what I said and I remember it even at four if other kids feel like this I want to make sure that they don't have to I want to talk to kids so they don't ever have to feel like this and that kind of marched on and when I was seven I was introduced to clinical psychology my mom used to make us read encyclopedias well us me encyclopedias um in order to get like extra screen time so I couldn't watch the Simpsons unless I read the dictionary or encyclopedia so I'm a nerd um can tell you lots of useless facts but so I found that out and then I went to middle school and that was my first time having black male and black female teachers. I've always had black female teachers, but the black male teachers and female teachers kind of like came together and like, we see something in you. Cause I was a very anxious child, very shy child, very nerdy child. And I told them that I wanted to help people. And they were like, you can be this. So from seven to 11, it was solidified that I was going to go to school to be a clinical psychologist because I just wanted to help people and make them understand why they were doing what they were doing, living the way they were living and help them feel better. Wow, what a mission. And especially something like starting off that young, you saw that discrepancy so young and was mm-hmm. able to like realize that it was wrong and then also use that as fuel to your fire to to do this mission and to, and to help others understand their diagnosis and help them, you know, live after they get it. And so, I mean, that's such a beautiful story to hear. I would love to know how you help others kind of understand their diagnosis when it comes to, to ADHD, because I've only been diagnosed for a little less than a year now, and I'm still like unpacking it, I guess. I'm still learning things about it. I'm still learning ways to cope with certain things or how it's impacted me as as a child and and now as an adult um it's a learning process it's it's something new every day and um thankfully i've gotten a lot of support from from people like you and i i would love to 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 spread that knowledge and and talk about it as well yeah for sure so actually my of course going to you go to graduate school and you're learning you're like i am trying to do good for the world I mean and so I'm in graduate school and I'm learning how many people are misdiagnosed um and how many people and especially how many women are overlooked for this diagnosis and there's kind of an antiquated health model and they're like you see it more in boys that's not we know that's not true anymore so my first foray into helping people understand their diagnosis was helping my mother realize that she has ADHD Um, and my mother is 53 on the 15th of this month. And that means my mother didn't really understand that she had ADHD into her forties almost. And, um, I was just in class and I'm like, why do 
every you were you're learning about him like yo this feels so easy to me people are like how are you able to pick up on these symptoms i'm like it just feels like i've been around this all my life and it was because that's the way my mom thought you know i was so used to i love my mom my mom knows i talk about her so she's not gonna beat me up and plus i run faster than her but her storytelling style you have to like re you have to bring her back to the beginning or you have to remind her what she's talking about or she'll start cooking or doing something and she's like where is this and you'll be like it's right there you know so all my life I grew up kind of having a really good memory because my mother was um not absent-minded but it seemed like she would just have these periods of there were so many things going on in her mind that she would just kind of misplace things or she would just absolutely forget things like I give her the permission slip and I put it down if I didn't put it in her hand oh baby you weren't going on that field trip you know there were (laughs) and her frustration tolerance all of it was different like if my mom is one of the smartest people that I know but if sister girl couldn't get something the way that the frustration would would show up it it would be just like what this is disproportionate but I I want to help you And even the way she goes about um, mastering skills. My mother is a cosmetologist and the way she goes about cleaning, the way she goes about everything has to be in a specific order. You touch something in my mom's house and she's like, absolutely not. You touch that pillow, that pillow was three inches too. She has to remember what put things in that order or she'll forget or she'll misplace things. So I was sitting in a classroom going, oh my gosh, this is my mom. And she, and they're like, well, usually diagnosed in childhood. And I'm like, my mom was a child. Mom's born in 1969. This wasn't a thing. And I remember talking to her. I was like, well, in school, she used to get in trouble a lot for talking too much and for fighting because she was bored. There were actual classes where teachers would tell her, just don't come back, just do your work and don't come back because it was such a disruption from her. And she was also kind of popular, but because she was just so talkative and so friendly, but them not understanding, oh my gosh, that she's understimulated. So she can't sit here. Um, so she was kind of labeled as bad. She got suspended a lot. She got kicked out of schools. And I I had a moment like how many other, especially for me, like black girls or women are going through this. I often see a lot, especially in the last three years, I've seen an influx, especially of women who I'm talking to them about work or about school. And I'm like, has anybody ever tested you? or told you about the possibility of you having ADHD? And they're like, no, bipolar. No, I'm just anxious, maybe autistic. I'm like, well, these things can look like each other, but your frustration with why you can't complete tasks or your inability to kind of stay engaged or your just general like flightiness that people think, oh, she's not paying attention. She's being bitchy. She's not interested, no she's literally paying attention to things that are going on in her head and she doesn't even notice that she's spacing out. I want you to understand that you are not a diagnosis. The diagnosis is a puzzle piece to help you put together this picture 
of why your life has gone the way it has gone, why your communication is the way it is, why your relationships have gone the way it is, and why you've always kind of felt a little like, is it me or is it them? You know, when it comes to like grasping new concepts or engaging with people, my whole thing is I don't, I care about your diagnosis, but I care about you more. So what does it mean for you? And ADHD looks different in everyone. You know, my mom has the talksies, as I call it. She just talks, talks, talks. And that's how she processes her ideas. She will not remember it if she does not say it out loud to me. But I also know people who um, have those restless moments where they kind of like retreat because it's too much going on. Um, I tell there's more than one way to do it. There's more than one way to win. That's also what I like to let people see. You know, you have a way of seeing the world and experiencing stimuli in a way that other people don't. I'm trying to use this to empower you and not to make you feel overwhelmed, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I think it's for me, I'm I'm definitely the talkative, like got in trouble for talking too much or being disorganized or being flighty or flaky and stuff like that. And I've had to explain to people that I don't really do anything maliciously. It's just kind of how my brain works. But I do have strengths and I do have, you know, I'm really good at picking things up really fast not all the time. And that's probably why I, you know, your mother and I share that thing where I do get frustrated Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I can't pick something up because I feel like I don't have to read instructions or, or follow a recipe or whatever. I kind of do everything by my heart. You know, I just kind of like figure it out. Probably why I get like, when my computer is doing something technical that I can't figure out, I almost like shut down and have these huge emotional dysregulations and stuff. After I got diagnosed, I started to notice more things within me that I was like, oh, you know, it's not an excuse, but it does explain a lot. And it helps me having that diagnosis does help me kind of like you said, it's a puzzle piece. It does help me put those puzzle pieces together and go, okay, the reason I'm struggling with this is because I have ADHD. So what do I do now? How do I, how do I work on this or, or support myself in this way or ask for accommodations or ask for support? And I, I mean, that's not very easy for me, but I think it's helpful to explain that and to let people know, like, yeah, I can go off on tangents and I can forget what I'm saying. You just got to bring me back. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just really just letting you know because it'll help the people around you also be more empathetic and understanding as well. Absolutely. I tell people, I am one of those people who doesn't like to ask for help either. And you sound like, like a lot like my mama. She doesn't like to ask for help. She'll, I'll be like, do you need, no, 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 I'll figure it out. Even though it's going to take her much longer or frustrate her beyond. But I think the idea that asking for help doesn't mean that you're helpless. It just means that other people have strengths that can latch on to yours and make this a little bit easier for you. And if I, and, and if you're one of those people that catch on to things really quick, if I get help this time, then next time, maybe it'll be easier for me next time. I won't need as much of a hands-on approach. We all need help. If we could do this whole thing called life alone, we would be equipped to but all of us are different. And I feel like asking for help, especially when you, your brain thinks differently. I stress this to my clients and it doesn't mean your brain is broken. All of our brains just do things differently because they're individual differences. And if 
I know that your brain pays attention to detail while mine pays attention to the full picture. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to proofread this for me. Or I'm going to ask you, could you look over it for me before I hit send on this email versus you can ask me. So how does this look overall? You know, do you get it? Is Do I need to approach it a different way? It's just reframing. You're not helpless. You're just need a little oomph to get you to where you need to be. And everybody needs a little oomph. It's okay that you're not good at everything. Like you don't have to be good at everything, which is really hard to hear from somebody like me who is stubborn and does like to do things on my own and doesn't like to ask for help. I think it's almost like this trailblazer, like kind of focus I have sometimes. And I do have to kind of humble myself and go, no, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to go, I'm struggling with this. Maybe you could just you know, just give me a little help because like you said, we will pick it up and the next time I won't have to ask for as much help or, or the next time it will be easier. And um, just like how we help others, we deserve help as well. And we're not, like you said, helpless. There's just certain things where if something, somebody's really good at something, you're going to go to them for, for help. Just like how, if we're really good at something, somebody's going to come to us as well. Right. And I think it's just ownership sometimes, especially with women um, being in positions where when we ask for help, kind of being steamrolled and having people assume that ownership of our ideas or of you know whatever we bring to the table of our vision and when we talk about especially when it comes to help when it uh, in the mental illness realm it's like hey it's a diagnosis I think differently I behave differently in some situations even if I ask for help if I complete this task the credit is still mine you know, I still did this. You, you know, I've, I, I asked people for help when it came to looking over my dissertation. They did not write that thing. They did not. I asked people for help when it comes to certain things for my children. They didn't raise them. If you're asking for help when it comes to completing a task or helping you stay on track or organizing or something, the ideas are still yours. You're just having someone make sure that what you're trying to say or what you're trying to execute is the best representation of you. I think that I am really good at that, the idea and then getting it going and doing all that stuff. But that last stretch, that last little finishing it and, and going through it is it just like, I don't know, it's just so hard. And it's, you know, I have to remind myself that, yeah, my brain does have a hard time doing this and it's okay to pass that baton to somebody else to just do that last leg that doesn't mean they ran the whole thing they just helped me support me in that little last part that I, I did I needed help with absolutely so I got a lot of questions about how to bring up ADHD to your doctor so and so I'm just curious like kind of what your thoughts and opinions are on the diagnosis process and and how you how you would support someone through that, I guess. So I think um, the most important thing is you are the best expert for what's going on with your body and you're consulting with another expert for their opinion. So I think what it's worth is, yes, there's diagnostic criteria and it usually says this presents before the age of 12. However, there's late onset, right? So I would say as specific as possible, 
try to think about the the earliest um the earliest parts in your life where you felt like I was struggling and no one came up with a solution and by solution I mean something that worked so telling the doctor you know since second grade I've had issues with um, math and reading and I uh, used to get in trouble for not paying attention and then in middle school like keeping this chronological especially when it comes to education because that's how we keep track of like attention and how well you're mastering school so that and also times where it interfered with you with work or at home were you a kid that your mother your father your caregiver had to constantly repeat things to you or you felt like you got in trouble a, a lot for not listening or being forgetful did you constantly you know misplace things forget where you put things were you the kid that really struggled with you know cleaning your room beyond the normal like oh, I have to clean my room. Like it felt like it was work beyond what you could do to clean your room. Um, are you had, do you have issues with racing thoughts? Like finding that you can be thinking about something and I kind of describe it to, to kids and adults as pew, 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 pew. <laughs> your thoughts kind of just like running a mile a, a minute. Stick to the these are my experiences this is my experience it's our job to counter or to you know provide what we call a differential diagnosis if we think that it could be something else but it's okay to say like if a if a clinician is saying well I think it's anxiety and you could say something like well I see where but what does that have to do with like my memory or, you know, the forgetfulness or the organization or, and they'll say, well, anxiety could impact this, but there was nothing at this time that I felt um, triggered, you know, anxiety. I felt like this was a constant state and really stressing that, no, this is something that I feel on a regular basis. And in session, I'll ask somebody to rate, like there are seven days in a week. Out of those seven days, how often do you feel like you're inattentive, you can't pay attention? How often do you feel like you can't focus? And using those words, like out of five out of seven days of the week, I feel like this. Most of my life, I felt this way. Since I was a kid and giving those, those little chunks, because these are my facts. Um, I'm not going to like, no, 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 I'm not going to discount your whole personal experience. And even if you feel like you are, let's say you've gone to some clinicians and they're like, no, it's this. And you still don't jive with that. It doesn't sit right in your spirit. When you go to your next consult, immediately let them know that I came because of these issues and these symptoms that I've been feeling and I've been looking it up and I've been doing some research, but also I know myself. And this person told me this, but it just doesn't feel like it fits for me. And ask them, how could, how would one person say this um, based on your constellation of symptoms? And then go, well, what do you think based on what I'm telling you? I'm going to go on what your history says, and because that's what I, I believe. Yes, I have a book that diagnostically points me, you know, to what I, I, I use to help you and to give a, a label and a name for it. But there are so many people who 
who are alive before ADD or ADHD was a thing. And there's so many people who are misdiagnosed and let there, you could be a kid that they feel like you are autistic. Autism and ADHD and sensory processing disorders, anxiety, they are very much sister, brothers, cousins, friends. So it could be a situation that the, the, not that the clinician isn't listening to you, but things look so similar that they just can't tease it out. And then sometimes I say, it may be a situation, I've changed diagnosis for, for my clients. I've been like, oh, this is a lot of sensory stuff. And then I was like, oh, I missed this. Why did I miss it? I haven't been working with you as long. Now I've been working with you for six months and it's clear as day that this is issues related to attention and focus and not something that's seeped in trauma. This is a this is something that started before the traumatic experience, but I had to get in a place where you were comfortable enough with me to keep pulling things out to realize, oh my gosh, this ties in with that. We're human too, you know? So stick to your guns. And when people come at you with a different diagnosis than what you feel or what you've researched or what, you know, or what other people with similar symptoms have, you know, you've talked to or had conferences with, say, why? Why do you feel so strongly that it's not this? And we go from there. Yeah, I think that with me as well, the reason I was diagnosed with anxiety is because and I, I do have anxiety, but I think it was like so much on the surface. Mm-hmm. I think that for me and ADHD was a part of my identity and who I am. And I thought that those were just like kind of traits. Yeah, I struggle with disorganization. I don't twist the caps on things. I forget what I'm saying mid-sentence and you got to pull me back. I thought that was just me. I was diagnosed with anxiety because I think it was just more prevalent in my life. Like a thing that I was like, wow, this is really like making me struggle. And so that was, I think that maybe that's a good thing to bring up is maybe your doctor is trying to treat the thing that's maybe on the surface. Do you think, is that, is that like a true statement? Would you say? Absolutely. Sometimes there, so uh, before a few years ago, we used to have a, a five axis system where we used to diagnose. So we used to put your primary diagnosis, if you had an access to disorder, which are personality disorders, and then we used to talk about other things related to you, and we used to give you a global assessment of functioning. We don't do that anymore because humans are more complex than that. Now, what we do is we, we list what the diagnosis that we feel is the, the most at the surface, the, the one that's causing the most distress, and we pay attention to the other things that are there. But most clinicians, like if you come on an intake and you're speaking rushed and you're tearful and you're, people are like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of anxiety there. Cause that's what we see. Insurance companies will say, we need a diagnosis now. So sometimes you'll have it for, people will use that for billing purposes but they're treating the other diagnoses simultaneously. You're we're treating them together. For instance, like the, the, the clients that I have that have other diagnoses, but I know this is definitely some ADHD gumbo in there. I don't need that written for me to put that in my treatment plan with you. I'm not going to leave the other parts of you alone because this one is loudest. It's I think it's kind of the best example is I'm a mom. I have two kids. 
I don't ignore one kid because the other kid is doing something. I, you know, I split my attention the way I need to, but I never ignore the fact that another kid exists. And that's the way I handle well, my client's diagnoses in the, in the session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that like, for me, like I didn't know about ADHD yet. And so that's another thing is that I, I didn't really, I didn't know how to advocate for myself because I didn't know that it was found in women. Um, it just wasn't something talked about. I thought it was just hyperactive boys. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that like, the hyperactivity could also occur like in restless minds and like racing thoughts and stuff because my hyperactivity maybe as a kid was a lot more outside and then as I got older you know because of things I heard or feedback I got as a child I think I definitely like went more inside that's like another thing is like people will say that you can grow out of ADHD perfect example I used to work at a high school um, in DC and I had like 85 kids on the low with me and the school psychologist and there was one kid, oh my gosh, like I used to have to test him and sit with him and that baby there would come in, spin, spin in the chair. And it's, it's not no baby, baby. He's like six, five. He's huge, but he's a teenager. He used to be talking a mile a minute and just spin. And it was very much squirrel, like, oh, something else, something else. And but he played football. And people were like, how can he play football? I said, there's so much to pay attention to on the field. Um, And he's getting that immediate rush of physical stimulation. So people were like, oh, you know, he started taking his his medication for ADHD because there was no way we could make it to a school day. He was in my office like eight times a day um, for calm down time. And I was like, you're missing so much class. We got to figure it away. And I remember his the coach being like, you'll grow out of it. You know, take the medicine you grow. I'm like, no, no. So I bumped into them years later. I'm at a store and they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm talking to them and I'm like, how's it going? They're like, oh, I'm in college now. Instantly felt old. I'm in college now. And this, this, this. And I was like, well, how's it going with focusing? You're like, well, because I know my triggers, you know, now, you know, different when I was younger and there's not as many crazy distractions as high school, I do a lot better. And that's what I try to tell people. The older you get for most of us, we have so much experience with our symptoms and the frequencies and our triggers. It's not that we grow out of it. We know how to control it better. Like I have asthma and People like, that's the same thing they used to say when I was younger. You grow out of your asthma. No, I have just learned not to do things to trigger it. So I won't have an asthma attack. Um, And I know myself better than I knew my still developing, you know, adolescent body. So I don't believe that you grow out of it. It's like ADHD is not a shirt. You know, we didn't just, you know, it's not a 2T and now you're in a 6X. That's not what it is. It's, and I think it it adds more shame to the diagnosis for adults who don't grow out of it. That implies that there is something wrong with you. I, I just don't like that terminology because then it makes it harder for you to come to terms with the symptoms that you're dealing with because you're so stuck on like, 
well, why didn't I grow out of it? Like, what didn't I do right? You know, why is everybody else growing and I'm still here? You're still here because it's maintenance. It's it's also along the line. My mom taught me something as she's an addict in recovery. She says, I'm never not going to be a drug addict. I'll be re- in recovery for the rest of my life. And it's the same thing with, you know, certain times, certain layers of mental illness. I will be dealing with this for the rest of my life, but there will be periods when it's easier than it was hard. I think we tend to kind of do retreat and do hide and feel shame because of that, because we're, we are trying to force ourselves to be something that we're not without answers. I get this question a lot is that if it's worth it to get diagnosed, believe it or not, I get women in their sixties messaging me saying, I don't know what to do. Like I saw your videos. I related to everything you said, and now I don't know what to do. Is it really worth it for me to get diagnosed? And I'm wondering from, from a doctor, I mean, what do you think? Do you think it is worth to get that, those answers? Absolutely. I treat mental health diagnoses the same way I treat somatic health diagnoses. Would you, is it worth it to uh, know that you have a broken bone, that you have, you know, cardiovascular disease, that you have asthma, that you have a tumor? Absolutely. Because then we can do things to help. We can put you on the right treatment plan. Because when you, you're sometimes, you know, because of that shame or that hesitance or just, just not knowing, I tell people ignorance isn't stupidity. Ignorance is the absence of knowledge. So because of that, you're sitting, but with that absence of knowledge, you're not actively doing anything to make your situation better. So going to get a diagnosis provides you with treatment clarity and it can point you in the right direction. Also, there is something about being validated and being told, yes, this is it. This is the thing. Instead of thinking I am inherently something just wrong with me, you know, being like, oh, this is why it, it, it helps so much. It's a relief. And also you're, once you get a diagnosis, you know, no matter how old you are, I tell people accommodations in the workplace, accommodations at school, I work with kids and I help kids get IEPs. I help people get 504s, uh, 504 plans. And a lot of people don't know, like sometimes in certain situations, I help people get both. Mm-hmm. And they're like, whoa, I was like, well, IEP stops when you graduate from high school, 504 follows you for the rest of your life. So this is here. You want to pursue a diagnosis because that could be the step to making life a little bit easier for you. Mm-hmm. To get those answers and, and, to, and to work on understanding your, your diagnosis too, because there's so many layers. And I'm curious, like in the mental health realm that you're in, do you feel like the conversation is changing? Do you feel like people are talking about women and ADHD and how these you know, women and people are being missed or misdiagnosed. Do you feel like there is a change coming or that conversation is happening now in that field? Absolutely. And you know what it has a lot to do with? Um, There was, uh, years ago, there weren't as many women in the clinical psychology realm. There are more of us now. And because of that, we are becoming a lot more focused on issues that affect women or issues that have a little bit of taint of sexism 
We're here to kind of be like, no, that's not right. You're having more researchers, scientists, neuropsychologists who are women, who are conducting research and rewriting the, the diagnostic criteria. When I first got into grad school, the American Psychological Association really much looked like the old boys club. Now it's just like women, 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 women. And it makes me smile because it's like, <laughs> finally. But also I, women think differently than men. We go for the, not just how does it work, but, but could it work differently? What, what alternatives are there? And the way we go about it is, is magical. But there's so many clinicians that struggle with ADHD. It has pushed us to have a different conversation about like, hmm, if half of the program is women <laughs> and it's supposed to occur mostly in males, let's talk about this. And also with the um, the expansion and the inclusion of the LGBTQIA plus community, you have more people talking about it in a non-gender specific way, which is chef's kiss to me, because there are so many things that were, they're so antiquated as far as punitive, you know, when we punish girls at school for, you know, you talk too much, or, oh, you don't want to be one of those girls, the girl who needed to run around a little bit more, who needed a lot, who would needed a lot of physical exercise. Like you minimized our personalities and who we were because you didn't understand the way our brains worked. Mm -hmm. And you, you were basing it off of just, oh, as compared to boys, all of these things are being explored. We're having a lot more conferences. We're pushing to change um, the way we assess things because lordy, lordy, the funniest thing for me as a clinician is assessing a person with ADHD for ADHD. I said, first of all, on face value, <laughs> you're going to know if this person has ADHD because this test is going to wear them out. Secondly, have you thought about the fact that this test <laughs> is supposed to be testing this specific for these specific traits and you're not allowing them to be their best self because you're purposely testing? you're purposely like conking them out. I don't like that. And then there are some things that the standardization is very much skewed to the white male and that everybody's not a white male. I mean, look at me, you know? So we're getting better. We are getting better. Um, thanks to all of the women in the field, thanks to all of the, the men and the non-binary people in the field who are saying, Hey, I'm seeing clients that fit this, but you're telling me it's wrong, but experience is telling me we maybe need to look deeper. And that's how we change the, the rules. That's how we get better. The DSM has like morphed over the last couple of decades. Why? Because clinicians and uh, clients say, hey, I mean, I know what you were saying, but what about this? Uh, so I think in the next five years, you're definitely going to see a lot of diagnostic changes. Don't take my word for it. I feel, um, and you're going to see a different 
realm of flavor to educational approaches for, for people with ADHD, which will lend to a lot of kids being diagnosed quicker. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really the goal is to help these kids a lot sooner than later and to help give them answers and help give them answers, but also then help their parents support them. And that's like, it made me so proud to hear about how many more women are are in your field you know, I often get told by followers that they say their doctor said that they're too smart, have ADHD, um, or they're too educated, or they did well in college, so they don't have ADHD. No, this is, I have tons of messages. This is so true. They go in there for ADHD and they go, well, you graduated college and you have a good job. You have a good success. You're successful. So you must not have ADHD. And I think that hearing that, you know, these women who went through school, a really, really tough education program and are, were successful and now helping other people. I think it's amazing, but I was just wondering your thoughts on, on that. Like ADHD has nothing to do with intellect or, or intelligence at all. Right. No, no. And that makes me mad and it makes me want to fight. And I keep getting told on Twitter that I'm supposed to be Dr. Vivid and I'm not supposed to fight people, but I just really want to fight people who tell you that it's supposed to look a certain way and again I'm talking about that internalized shame like oh so you're smart first of all I'm some of the most brilliant people that I know have ADHD are autistic have trauma histories that trauma rewires the way you you think the way you process things too and do the most incredible things professionally You know, one of my favorite um, things to bring up when I talk to clients about any type of uh, shifts or severe mental illness, I say, John Nash, A Beautiful Mind is one of my favorite movies. He didn't have ADHD, but he was paranoid, he had paranoid schizophrenia, and he got a Nobel Peace Prize. Mental illness does not care about your social economic status. It doesn't care about how many books you read. It doesn't care about if you're the janitor or if you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. If you have uh, the right genetic makeup and the right environmental factors, there we are. Um, to some of this, my mother is, like I said, is one of the smartest people I know. The amount of information this woman can re- retains about things just many things and that's a superpower she focuses on so many things and she stores it it's like wow you know like a lot of the teachers professors that I had in graduate school had ADHD and they wrote many books and many studies and and that's why I think I'm so transparent about my mental health diagnoses too because I don't want you to think that you are boxed in I don't want you to think that oh I have this diagnosis what the hell am I going to do? Like, is I'm incompetent or I'm incapable. No, you're not. We just work on ways to maintain and work on ways to make it work for us. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what neurodivergency is about. It's not, oh, I'm neurotypically different in a bad way. No, I'm different. And because I'm different, I have a whole different set of alternatives for me to arrive. You, because it's like, wow, you see things differently. You see things in a way that we would have overlooked. And you see things that show me, hey, there's more than one way to arrive at a solution. And sometimes you get restless. Sometimes you get bored. But guess what? 
I have never seen someone with ADHD that is restless or bored who will not have a new hobby. <laughs> they will have a new hobby, baby, and they will tell you all about it. And whether that hobby lasts for a week or it lasts for a year, honey, when they get too bored, they're going to give themselves knowledge. They're going to feed on knowledge. Yeah. And if that's not intellect, I don't know what it is right? Learning to adapt. People Mm -hmm. with ADHD are more likely to be entrepreneurs, to think outside of the box. We're great problem solvers. We're good under pressure, which I am like, that's probably why I procrastinate because I assume that I'll figure it out eventually, you know, but it, it, it is really shocking when people say that because we have these brilliant minds and like, we're able to see the world in a different light. And I think that is something that is really exciting. And it's probably why people are like side-eyeing us half the time, like as they're just confused by, by how our brain works, but it really is a strength. And it really is something to be proud of is that, you know, I do see the good in people and I'm open-minded and I try to make sure I'm inclusive to everybody. And, you know, I might not have done well in certain classes, but I can pick up a hobby and I can learn something really quickly and master that skill. And people are looking at me like, how did, how did you figure that out? I, I don't know. I just follow the dopamine or the passion or whatever it is. Cause I do have that, that thirst for knowledge. And that probably is why so many people with ADHD are becoming psychologists, therapists, doctors, you know, because we have a thirst for knowledge and we also have a thirst of helping people and wanting to put good out there. And it has nothing to do with our intellect at all. No, you're problem solvers by nature because you had to figure out, well, if if reading this is hard for me, what's the easiest way for me to prepare this book report? If, you know, I don't, what's the easiest way for me to avoid not washing the dishes because that means I have to put things up. But all of these things, you, you realizing, hey, things are hard for me. That's why I always give a shout out to kids who sometimes get in trouble for things at school. I like, are you mad because what they did was bad or are you mad because they outsmarted you? You know, they, they found a way around it because that's what their brain told them. You told mm-hmm. them no to A. So they were like, well, well, you didn't say about this. If I get from A to B in my own way, I'm still getting from A to B. Does it really matter how I got there? It, does it re- do I have to really follow your plan if this plan works for me and has been working for me? And I get really defensive, like you're saying, makes me want to fight. And I feel that way too, is I get really defensive because I'm like, it doesn't really matter how you get there or how I get there. It doesn't have to be the same as long as you get there and right. I figured it out and you adapted and you were flexible. And I think those are things that people should be you know, given some props about that with ADHD is, you know, and I think we are so focused on, teaching people how to do things a certain way without looking outside the box and realizing that there are a million ways to do something. And just because somebody does something differently doesn't mean that they're wrong or, or doing it wrong. Absolutely. Is there anything that you want to bring up that you feel like that you're passionate about, or you feel like is important for the people out there to hear? Um, I think, especially when we talk about the ADHD conversation, there sometimes people feel a little bit troubled um, when they have to make, take medication to help with their symptoms. And I say, you know, medication is part of the treatment. And it just means that you need a little bit, we talked about not being helpless, but needing some help. And it kind of reduces the symptoms that therapy and organizational skills can't, you know, kind of work out. So 
I can talk to you about what's triggering some of your racing thoughts or intrusive thoughts, the zoomies, but medication can help calm them down or can help with those feelings of revved upness or keep you, calm you down, you know, keep you sustained and keep you focused along with the tools. I think a lot of the pieces, no matter how old you are um, with ADHD is yes, you know, processing and therapy and learning new behavioral skills. But also if you have to take meds, it's okay. It's okay. We take meds for asthma. We take meds for diabetes. You know, there are so many things that you can take medication for to just make life a little bit easier. Taking medication to help with your attention, your focus, your restlessness, those feelings that are a little bit overwhelming for you, not an issue, not an issue. And just be open to talking about what works for you and what you feel like eh, my body isn't vibing with just as you would do any other medication but I don't want anyone to feel like they should be embarrassed or ashamed because they have to take a medication I mean I, I take a couple and that's how I'm here what I was going to ask you is why do you think with there's a lot of medications that people take and you're you're saying some conditions that people have but what do you think the stigma comes from when it comes to ADHD medication like out of if you think about antidepressants or you think about anti-anxiety they're not the same amount of stigma that when someone says they're on Adderall or Vivance that they get and where do you think that stems from or is it just I'm just curious on your opinion on that I think there's one just taboo about psychotropic medications overall the idea of you need something to focus? Yes. <laughs> you need something to be able to pay attention, to, to sit still? Yes. And I think people feel as though, oh, those are such juvenile tasks. Those are something, those are things that you should be able to um, learn as a child. And you're an adult, you should be able to regulate those. Guess what? I can't. <laughs> you know, I, there's stigma about, it's ableism. I'm going to call it what it is. It's being ableist, you know, why can't you do this? If you don't have a traumatic brain injury, if you don't have some type of trauma history, if you don't have, why can't you focus? If you're not hallucinating, why can't you focus? Because there are things going on neurochemically <laughs> that are impeding my ability to focus. And I don't have to explain my right to have access to medication. Uh, like if, if a guy doesn't, maintain an erection they write him a script immediately and I didn't shame you for it I gave you something to help you out so let them get the things that they need to help them out and not judge them for needing a little bit of help mm -hmm. I that's something I struggled with is when I first was diagnosed with um, ADHD I was like ready to see some positive changes and she wrote me a prescription for it and I filled it and that bottle of Adderall sat in my drawer for two months before I took it because I'm a creative. I, I do graphic design and I really nervous that it would change who I am and like those traits about me. And it took me a long time. To, I mean, it took me two months to take it. And so what would you say to anybody else who is kind of going through that same thing of that, that anxiety or that nervousness when trying any medication or trying one for ADHD? I definitely would say medication um, it, it's not going to rob you of the essence of who you are. You know, all those special things that you are, they're still there. If anything, they teach you how to access them 
in a more tamed manner. So with medication, I, I'm always honest with people. Like the first week or two, you you may have a like reaction, like, what is this? You know, feeling a little sleepy, feeling a little like mm, some I feel off, or you know, having issues with sleep or appetite. It's your body just getting used to this new thing helping you out. So I say, you know, I hate to be that cliche doctor. That's the only place that I am, but let you take your medicine for four to six weeks. Because <laughs> that's the uh, time that we start seeing a real change. And, you know, that usually, yes, that two month period where we see, oh, this is different. Your body's gotten used to it. Give yourself time to get used to it before you say, uh uh-uh. You know, unless there's like a really big symptom, like you're, you're, you're really sick, you're ill, you have an allergic reaction or blood pressure issues, fainting, you know, of course, those are the biggies um, or like something really adversely affecting, affecting your, your sex drive, uh, suicidal ideation, or there are some medications that you may feel like I feel a personality um, damper. Like, I feel like I'm a little bit shorter with people and I don't like that. We, that could be a dose issue. Mm-hmm. It could be you need a different member of the family uh, as far as medication goes. So don't give up on it because you, you have like a week of not so great experiences or one medication wasn't right for you. It's kind of like um I have allergies and Claritin didn't work for me. Allegra didn't work for me. Benadryl doesn't work for me, but Zyza works fine, you know? And I had to go through years <laughs> of figuring it out, both, you know, and trying things and being like, okay, well, this does this, but it keeps me up. This just makes me feel drowsy. Like, and mm-hmm. talking to my doctors about it, um, medication can work wonders when it comes to just the intensity, taking the edge off, you know? It's one thing to be like, oh, okay, I'm scared it's going to rob me of my creative juices. What if it's not robbing you of your creative juices, but it's giving you more time to focus so you can put those creative juices to work the way you need them to work, you know? There is another piece that is that I do have anxiety. And I think because of the stigma, because of what I've heard about ADHD medication, thing where I thought that I would get addicted or that my doctor would think I was addicted. And so I was so nervous to talk to my doctor and say like, hey, this isn't working for me, right? Like I might need more. And so I was wondering like for other people out there that are probably going through the same thing, how do you approach your doctor honestly and like tell them like, I promise I'm not trying to take advantage of you. I just really don't think that I'm on a a high enough dose yet. I'm not trying to get you to be my drug dealer. Right. I don't know why. It's like, like I worry about things like that. And so it's, that's very overdramatic. That's who I am. Hello. I'm overdramatic, but I, I was nervous. I was honestly nervous to tell my doctor that I need to go up a medication. So I'm curious from a doctor, I don't know, is that something you experience or, or how would you, how would you help other people in that situation from your side of the story? I guess it's, it's being honest. Like, so full transparency um I talked to my psychiatrist and we've been upping my dose we've upped my dose on a certain medication for my um, my mood stabilizer my anxiety to three times um and basically (laughs) the first time I said it's giving placebo I don't feel anything and she was like really I was like yeah I feel the same 
And it's frustrating me because I know by this time, and this by this time I had taken the medication for a month. I said, I know by this time that it's not me. I I've, I don't feel any changes whatsoever. There was nothing, no like side effects, nothing. So I was like, oh, okay. So then the second time, um, you know, after 30 days, she goes, how we doing? And I was like, the same. It's giving sugary still. Um, but, and she's like, well, tell me, I'm like, what I did and what I've told you guys to do is I specifically outlined the same symptoms that I was having. Like, I'm still having issues with um, a little, I call them anxiety flares, not quite anxiety attacks. I'm still this, I'm still having interrupted sleep. I'm still like explaining exactly what you're feeling. And that helps as far as that's a different from a different approach from being like, give me more drugs, give me stronger drugs. It's hey, the things that you told me this was targeting, it's it's not targeting them mm-hmm. or it's it's not. I don't see it feel a difference. And notice like I let my I let my script run that full month to give it a chance. To you know, so that way they also know. Oh, hey, you really tried, you know. And, and there's like we just talked about. There's certain situations where you just can't because the symptoms, um, the side effects are too much for you. But like I really tried, and um, I gave it a go. It's not my fault. We all need different doses for things. Our bodies respond different. I have a high tolerance for medication too, and so I'm very open about that. I let my doctors know I've had this and this didn't work. Mm-hmm. So they'll they'll know it's not me vying for narcotics. This is just, I'm telling you the way my body works. Mm-hmm. And just being very honest about the main symptoms that were so that were problematic for you. Like, oh, okay. I keep talking about racing thoughts, maybe because I've been talking about that with my clients all week. Um, <laughs> racing thoughts, or I've been having um, an intense panic attack, whatever it is, whatever your symptomology is, let them know that these things are still present. If it's still present, your meds aren't doing what they're supposed to do and we'll revisit. Well, your psychiatrist revisit and you'll talk to your therapist about <laughs> those things, but don't be scared. We'd, I'd rather we rather have you taking something that works and kind of like trial and error than you taking something for years and you feeling like it's you. I'm beyond help because I've been on this medication for six months to a year and it's not working. It's not use the medication. We need to change the medication and see what happens. I honestly like didn't even feel like taking it. I really didn't because I wasn't seeing a, a big reaction or I wasn't seeing like the positives of it. I wasn't feeling that way. And so I kind of felt like it w- didn't work for me. So something was wrong with me because mm-hmm. Adderall works for everybody that so far, but it didn't work for me. So there's something even more wrong with me. And that's not the, the case. There is, that's why there's multiple different medications and different brands out there because we are individuals and things work differently for us. Absolutely. Um, I, when I finally got on medication that fit with like the perfect, like key in keyhole type of thing that it was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to function all the time. And again, it's not taking anything away from the person that I am, but it's making it easier for me to be the person that I am without having to process extra thoughts or having to um, 
bargain with myself about how much energy that I have to put out throughout the day. And it just makes me live life instead of just existing or mm-hmm. surviving. And, you know, medication sometimes adds that extra um. I think I tell everybody, thank my therapist, thank my meds and thank my kids for me being able to just like go through life without having a meltdown moment without having the oh my gosh she's on the news and now for something good moment you know (laughs) we we go through things in life that sometimes are hard for us and if there are things that are have been created to take the edge off to make things easier why not pursue them why not try them Mm -hmm. yep they're there for a reason they were created for a reason and you know that's like you have to be like we were talking about being willing to ask for help and support it's the same way with medication they're there for a reason they're there to help support us and you shouldn't feel ashamed for taking it it is good to know that it's okay that that life jacket or that that raft or that thing is there to help you and support you and it's okay to use it Mm-hmm. I wouldn't come up to you and say, oh my God, Katie, why are you on crutches? You broke your leg. You're just not going to walk on it. I wouldn't do that to you. You know, the crutches are there to give you the support. So you're not harming yourself. So you're not overexerting yourself. So walking is easier. It's the same thing with your meds. You know, you won't go to your grandma and be like, oh my God, you're taking blood pressure pills and smack them out her hand. <laughs> but, you know, I just want to remind everybody that it's no shame in taking care of your mental health and your wellness. And it's not just about a diagnosis. It's about doing what's best for you. It's about making decisions that are you focused. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about taking time for yourself. And if you feel like some of the things that are going on with you that you're feeling that you're going through are a little bit too much for you to handle on your own, there are people like me that are waiting and willing to help you on your mental health journey. We're out there for you. You don't have to be a alone in this. I love that. And I think that that's going to help a lot of people. And I think that, you know, we, us having these conversations and talking about it openly and saying that it's not something to be ashamed about that. There are professionals out there that are going to listen to you and it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it to go and, and seek out those people and to get the help that you deserve. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I I appreciate you coming on here so much and willing to talk to me and have this conversation and, and your honesty and your vulnerability. And I promise not to tag your mom, (laughs) but I think, I think her and I would get along quite well. I think she would understand me. I might have to have some of that. You call it ADHD gumbo. Yes. (laughs) She would love if my, my mom is one of my favorite biggest followers. She like everything that I put on Instagram. She's like, on my reels she's commenting with people I'm like oh my gosh you're such a mom I love it she would love you (laughs) I I love my mom's kind of the same way I she's the first person I send all my podcasts to and and she's um she doesn't have ADHD but I think this has been also a really healing process for her too because I think there's so many times where she didn't know how to help me Mm -hmm. and so I'm learning to help myself and learning to help others and she's kind of learning along the way and just in watching me kind of create this thing, which is amazing and wonderful. And I'm connecting to so many people. And so it is really cool to not only heal those little girls, like we were talking about, but also helping those mothers and those fathers understand their children too. So great to have those people um, in our corner who, who get us and love us unconditionally. Even we make a fool of ourselves. (laughs) 
absolutely. I make a fool of myself at least three times a week. I feel like that's part of my nature. It's what we do, you know? Gotcha. That's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you so much. Oh, um, is there anything that you would like to plug, where to find you, where to get a hold of you? Um, anything that you have going on that you want to promote or plug? So by the time this comes out and is live, I will have just finished my um, a project that I'm partnering with Kate Spade and her media. Um, it's Let's Talk Journeys with um, Black Women in Mental Health. And it's really near and dear to my heart because I'm a Black woman who works in the mental health um, field and also deals with her own mental health diagnoses. And specifically, I think it'll be a replay but it, I'm gonna be talking about burnout and defeating the myth of the black woman as a superhero. Um, and what else? Um, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Dr. Vivid, that's me. Um, and I also have my podcast, which is Vividly Speaking with Dr. Vivid on all your favorite podcast platforms. And if you want to follow me, follow me. I love talking to y'all. I love talking to y'all. Come on with all your questions that you don't want to ask your friends. Ask me. <laughs> yes, ask you. And I, I I appreciate you like allowing me to, to reach out to you and you wanting to be on here. And um, you got to end with one of your cute little pint size, one of your things. You got to <laughs> You got to do it for me, for me, please. Okay. Okay. And um, this is off the top of the dome. Yes, yeah. do it. Do it. All right. So it's me, Dr. Vivi, your favorite fun size, pint size, travel size, TikTok therapist, a girl with a bucket hat that says my neck, my back, my anxiety attack. And I wanted to let you know that this may feel heavy, but if you get the right tools, you can break it down and piece by piece, it will get lighter. And the more you move, the lighter it will become. And before you know it, you've gotten to your destination. You broke it down. And when you break it down, it's not as big. So let's reframe the way we're looking at things. You are the solution. If you just look at it differently, that's it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this with me. And um, I'm so proud of you. So good luck with that. And so much positive energy and love and light your way. Okay. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to be a part of the KDHD community, check out my Patreon, where you can connect with fellow ADHDers, get some goodies, and help support this podcast. Thanks for coming on this journey with me today, and I'll see you next time. The KDHD podcast is written, produced, and edited by me. The wonderful music you are hearing was created by my dear friend Sylvie. And for resources on this episode, check out the show notes on my website. Bye!